This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave in the piney woods of North Central Florida in God's country. And the Melvin Law Studio is the... uh, only Miller Law is the only official law firm partner of the Fighting Gator. I have the Fighting Gator cup here. Remains to be seen if they're fighting. In that cup is, of course, CaliberCompanyCoffee.com. Use Ward 15 to get 15% off. So I'm having a drink of that. No, there's nothing else in that but the coffee. A little cream and sweet and low. Now, we're also well, got great sponsors. You'll see them roll by the screen. We've got people who contribute now and then to them out of the goodness of their heart and their belief in the program. We greatly appreciate that. And I try to give you a little private, personal thank you note now and then. And um, I think some of you got some here recently. Now, you know, we are also protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. Good friends, uh, John Pastore and Randy Elrad. Well, 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 you know, we're going to have a great show today. As I mean, I'm learning to say those kind of things. Um, Toast of the Town used to say that all the time with Ed Sullivan. What a great shoe we have. And um, first part of the show, I want to talk about some things that we need to preempt you for for tomorrow when Ted comes on. The second part of the show today, uh, I have my good friend Tim Martin uh, with me who's watching now, uh, who is chair of the Washington County Republican Party. Also, I want to say hello to Doug Wirk. He's brought up bright and early from the beautiful Lake Chapala. Uh, where we honeymooned in Ahihik, Mexico. I can't remember now how many years ago it was. Blissful years, though. Blissful years. And Plantation Mark, of course. I guess he claims it's sunny there. I don't know about that. He's uh, he's in a place where it gets all kinds of weather. Well, <clears throat> Ted is um, concerned. You know, he was supposed to be in South Korea tomorrow. He's not evidently going to be there. He's going to be here stateside. And he wrote me a note and said, please post on the wardscottfiles.com this article, which I'd like for the students to do their homework and read the article before class tomorrow, which is Wednesday, uh, the 8th, I believe. And um, I'm still getting used to Eastern, whatever time we're on. But anyway, it's a hatchet job on the new Speaker of the House. Read it, be prepared, and participate in the chat room. Because it's this is really what it's about. And they're taking Johnson apart for being a Christian and for being, you know, parting his hair, so to speak, and looking neat as a pin every time he's seen publicly, and having his house in order, and having priorities and principles and you know, deep roots and things he believes. It's written by two secular women 
who believe in whatever is up the flagpole that day. That's the way secularity works. Right now, of course, up the flagpole is climate change and electric vehicles. and But the biggest one that's up the flagpole, the one I want to go into a little bit right now, and it's a word I'm just learning. I mean, I've known the word, but I haven't realized that's a cuss word. It is a cuss word. Colonization. Let me say it again. Colonization. Colonies. Which to the left means rip-off, subjugation, slavery, brutality, exploitation done by European countries. So that everything that descends from that moment is by definition wicked. Now, this was in the Washington Examiner. I want to go through this article with you. And be sure and do your homework for tomorrow. The title of this article is, Do Republicans Finally Know What Time It Is? And here's what is meant by that title. Are you aware of how deeply and pervasively, systematically, I'm going to run out of words for this, the left spreads the dogma that anything that is a manifestation or in any way associated with colonization needs to be and where it's really come out sharply now with Hamas eradicated. See, Israel is a result has been established by the same European countries that colonized Africa and exploited it. Ergo, Palestinians are exploited. Never mind the history. This is the new history. And have you seen, by the way, images of pubescent children Oh, they're college age. Taking a hammer in a museum to an artwork and wondering what in the hell is going on there. Well, if you look a little more closely, the artwork was done by a European painter. And ergo, he's wicked. Ken, the article is on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. It's the very first one. Thank you for asking the question. Ward's hot bulletin board. But so here is the way in which children are being taught to view the world. According to this article I'm going to go through with you in preparation for tomorrow. It is the oppressed Versus the oppressor. 
The oppressed are all those who were colonized. The oppressor basically is anybody who is white. And Christian. The article for tomorrow emphasizes the Christian part of this. And ergo, because of the oppressed versus the oppressor paradigm, you are to disdain America and its allies. Now, who was the preacher for this? Obama. Who was his preacher? Reverend Wright. Who used to say, God, D, America, from inside a Christian church. With Obama on the front row. And we elected Obama. We, not me. So now... The slaughter of Jewish civilians, the rape of the women, the burning of the babies is payback. Even Obama said, I got to quote this. This is amazing. From Breitbart. Even Obama said in 2015, when he reacted to the violence of a so-called Islamic state, which had published a video of a Jordanian pilot being burned alive inside a cage, Obama argued, well, medieval Christians did just did the same thing. Medieval Christians did the same thing. Are you catching on? Are you catching on what's really going on here? <laughs> open borders. Why open borders? Because those aren't white people coming across there. Those are people of color. Who are victims of the oppression of colonization. Now, this is what's interesting. Last Friday, with Johnson at the helm, There was a vote in the House of Representatives to leave the Smithsonian Latino Museum defunded. Hold on. Leave the Smithsonian Latino Museum defunded. Why? Because what was being put up in the museum were artifacts that emphasized decolonization. The evils of colonization. Hence, you see these little children taking a hammer and banging the glass off of a protective glass off of, off of painting. 
Back in 2020, so in this article, the Latino Museum was being used to push the view that Latinos are victims in the oppressor versus oppressed narrative. And they convinced the Republicans then that it would be a bipartisan fair and it would highlight the advances of the Hispanic community. But that wasn't the case. It was used to curate grievances against the United States and foment a sense of victimhood among Latinos. It celebrated transgender Hispanics, Black Lives Matter, as if they were creations of colonization. Now, when you read the assignment for tomorrow, which is at Ward's Hot Bulletin Board, and it's a hatchet job on the new Speaker of the House, they're going after the new Speaker because he is a Christian. Christians were the ones who did the colonization. Christians were the ones who did, according to this narrative, the ones who were the oppressors. So it's not only been the colleges and the schools, but it's also been the museums who have been sort of under the radar till now. And the Hamas thing has brought it out. Now, a fellow named Mike Gonzalez wrote this article. He's a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And he's the author of a book called BLM, The Making of a New Marxist Revolution. He gets it. He understands it. He knows what time of day it is. You know, I don't pay a lot of attention to this guy, but I'm starting to pay a little more attention. Bill Maher. I guess that's the way you say his name. Even he is saying that the attack on the ideas and thinkers of Western civilization is not right. The ideas that come through Athens and Rome and London and Paris and even Philadelphia are what make life good, he says, for most people in free societies today. And if you're a marginalized person, that's another word I got to learn, you live better today because of Western ideals, not in spite of them.
Meyer says that Western civilization is what gave the world pretty much every liberal precept that liberals are supposed to adore. Individual liberty, scientific inquiry, rule of law. That's a joke, isn't it? Rule of law. Look at New York right now with Trump. Take Trump's name out of it. Anybody. Well, makes me think of the boss heart thing here with treatment of colliers, but I won't go there. Well, I just did. Anyway. Trial by jury, which Trump isn't going to get. All of this is because of, not in spite of, Mayer's, Mayer says, Western civilization. <clears throat> but when you see the world as victors or victimizers, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Every, I'm sure you've heard this, and we have liberals who watch the show. I was talking with a gentleman yesterday, just in conversation, and he's a very fair and open-minded fellow. And he has many liberal friends. He can't reason with them. They, they don't want to hear anything that contradicts their belief, which is never founded on anything substantial. Now this, this, this is something I hope you don't mind suffering through yet again. from 2016, what is this, 2023, seven years, there has been a relentless attack on Trump. And basically what it comes down to, they just don't like Trump. Even if they agree with the policies and this and that, they don't like him. And what they turn him into is a demagogue for colonization and white supremacy. And they began doing this. Let's just go through a timeline, look down memory lane here. Just as a refresher course for the exam, my friends. And the exam will be the election. 2016, August 15th. What happened then? You can use your notes. Peter Strick Strock Struck. Lisa Page. That ring a bell? They talked about having an insurance policy in case Trump was elected. That's 2016. August. In October 2016. 
what are we going to do if the unthinkable actually happens? We need an insurance policy. They even mention impeachment two weeks before Trump is elected. Comey. These guys were all already talking about it. In October 2016, the FBI had a year-long secret wiretap on Carter Page. Page was never charged. And the FBI never explained any of this unwarranted wiretapping. 2017, Chuck U. Schumer publicly warns Trump that if he took on the intelligence community, it has six ways from Sunday to get back at him. You know, I don't know how Trump, I don't, I, I really, I'm amazed at how he handles all this stuff. I mean, you know, he ain't no spring chicken. All through 2017, for example, in May, Mueller the ghoul, he starts investigating Trump. You know who's behind all this is Obama. You see how all the dots connect? In 2018, Vice President Joe Biden is bragging that he got Ukraine to fire its top prosecutor by threatening to withhold U.S. aid. Huh? This is the same guy that's in charge of Money now for Ukraine and Israel. Trust, I don't know. You tell me. John Brennan, that guy attacks Trump consistently. So Trump's being attacked. I'm trying to imagine what it'd be like to be Trump. It's all 360. 360. Pelosi. The most disgusting thing I've ever seen publicly in Congress is Trump giving a State of the Union address and Pelosi tearing up the written version of it while he's giving it behind his back in full view of everyone. And nobody's censoring her. Nobody censors her. Are you kidding me? You're going to put up with that? In 2019, they start this impeachment stuff. 
with Fat Jerry Neighbor and Pencil Neck. By the way, Pencil Neck is in a problem. Try to dig it out here in my, my dusty discs here. He's claiming residency in Mara, I think. Guy's from California. He's a liar. Don't you think? I mean, don't take my word for it. Constant. This has been going on. And now we got a judge who tells Trump and the attorneys and all to shut up. He don't want to listen to them. And you tell me. And you know, years ago, we were leaked documents that showed the demonization of colonization. I like that. In the dance department of the University of Florida. Why? Well, we had a black dean who took the position that the world's fascination with ballet was basically flawed because ballet came from colonizing nations. And so that had to be replaced with African dances. We were leaked those documents. And then we found out it was not just in that department, it was all through the university. And Fox was the president. He let it go on. He let it go on. And now we got a president that the faculty and the union and all that didn't want. Well, when they don't want them, you probably want them. A new college. New college was a little miniature Gainesville City Commission. You didn't go there to get educated, you go there and get indoctrinated or to get confirmed what you were supposed to believe. It's a very strange set of circumstances. So take a look at Ward's Hot Bulletin Board at the hatchet job on Johnson. And you will know why. You'll know why it's written. And we'll be discussing it tomorrow. I'm going to take a break for Ward's weather, and then we'll come back with Tim Martin. And we're going to talk about the High Springs election. So stay tuned. We'll be right back for Ward's weather. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery 
delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Thursday, November the 16th, come celebrate the release of our Spurrier's Gridiron Grill, Lugo's Risky Run. This exclusive release features a special spread of our farm-to-table food, rum cocktails, raffles, and a meet and greet with me. Each ticket includes a bottle of Spurrier's Single Barrel Select Risky Run. And I'll sign the bottle if you'd like. So get your ticket before they sell out at Spurrier's.com. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show... Thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to Ward's Weather Report and uh, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Chevron fossil fuel gas, great stuff. Well, we got a mild weather here, really mild weather, but there's no rain. And I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but there's been people calling me about that naked rain dance. And every time I do it, why it rains for 40 days and 40 nights so to speak. But we take it for long. I may, have, I may have to get into that. I just warn you now, be careful what you ask for. I'm having some fun with it. But there has always been something to it. I don't know what it is. You know, it's it's the rhythm of the chant, I guess. I don't know what it is. Um, I have always been fascinated with cultures that are closer to the trees and the clouds and the moon than they are the street lights and the and the sewage system, if you know what I mean. Um, one is a better predictor of what's going on than the other, uh, if you follow my point here. I got Tim Martin here with me. Tim is a 
man who wears many hats, um, the biggest of which he subs for me. My God, how's he do it? And um, he also is the chair of the Lancaster County Republican Party, associated with John Birch. Um, I don't know what all he does. He's uh, he's he's into a lot of things and uh, a real gentleman, unlike yours truly here. So um, he's polite, and I'm kind of a uh, you. You tell me. So anyway, I enlisted his help today because he is a commissioner, among other things, in Newberry. And Newberry is one of the cities, actually the county, like I think, would like it if they're all gone and they could just run everything. But you have Newberry, then you have High Springs, then you have a lot. You all, there's a lot of cities got to ring the thing, uh, outside of the county, go around the uh, uh, um Lacrosse, Lacrosse, go around to Hawthorne, and then of course in the middle it's Gainesville. But um, there's some things going on in High Springs today, an election, and Tim probably is a lot more up on it than I am. So Tim, I'm going to sit back and listen. What's going on there, my man? <clears throat> well, thank you for having me back again, uh, Ward, as always. And uh, it, it's it is kind of an interesting sort of tale when you look at. What you're describing, uh, one of the members here, uh, Ron Thornton, uh, he always described it as the donut of the county. And isn't it kind of fitting that the Gainesville is represented by the whole? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's like this never-ending, bottomless uh, pit of irony, uh, to say the least. But there is hope, folks. If you look to the northwest, you've got high springs. Little high springs, uh, up until today, has been trying to be like little Gainesville, quite frankly, they increased their property tax millage 27% over the rollback rate here in the late, in the latest budget round talks uh, that started in October. And it's got a lot of people upset in high Springs, uh, understandably. So paying a lot more money and getting less services and the, uh, you know, the opportunity is there today in the high Springs election. If they're, our folks that live north and east of 441, they're going to vote over at the Civic Center by the base uh, soccer fields. If you live west and south of 441, you're going to vote over at the First United Methodist Church. Open in the polls are open. They've already been open for two and a half hours. Uh, they close again tonight at seven o'clock, and then we should get some announcements uh, shortly thereafter. But um, you know, if Andrew Miller and Steve Tapanis are lucky enough to be elected by the citizens of High Springs, I think we have the opportunity to change the direction of High Springs away from being mini Gainesville and moving into something that's a more uh, conservative approach, focusing on actual government services and actually trying to implement plans that fix some of the things that have kind of got off the rails a little bit here over the last several years. They did elect Catherine Weitz uh, last year. Uh, so that'll put three people on a uh, five-person commission, and they'll have the majority to kind of start turning some of those things around. They got some real challenges with infrastructure there. Uh, really, some challenges with growth, like the rest of the county. We're all dealing with escapism from the the hole that is Gainesville. Uh, so nobody's immune. High Springs is not immune. So they've got some big growth projects that are on the on the drawing board. Uh, but without the proper fit infrastructure in place, it's really political malpractice to move those forward. And some of those have been moving forward to the detriment of the citizenry there in High Springs. So uh, if you are a High Springs resident or you know High Springs residents, make sure they get out there and vote today for Andrew Miller and Steve Tapanis to start moving High Springs in a little bit more uh, logical and thoughtful per, uh, direction. 
Well, it's interesting. You know, High Springs was, uh, now that I think about it and listen to you, remained a kind of uh, laid-back little community that really, its economy was based on the springs. Yes. That's what people came there to do. Mm-hmm. They were they had no alcohol. That was the first big hurdle I remember them arguing about, whether or not they wanted to have an actual city life, you know, with people coming out there to eat and, you know, do all that. And they crossed that hurdle. And um, then I saw where the discussion between, which I'm not up on, Alachua and High Springs, they're almost one town, Yeah. right? I mean, practically, really, you don't know when you exit one, enter the other. Sure. But High Springs doesn't have the the river, if you will, that we have, I-75 and 441. And so that's going to direct the way things go here. And already there are people lamenting the fact that, as you described, people pouring out of the hole in the donut to get out of crazy yeah. Gainesville. Yeah are coming out here. And now we got an infrastructure problem. You know, we're, we're getting ready to make the road from Halachua to Jonesville in, practically impassable. Mm-hmm. Um, already is need for more traffic lights. Mm-hmm. So is there any kind of pushback um, that you know of from the other candidates that are contending with these people for keeping High Springs kind of um, antique? Well, I, th- I think that uh, I think the balance of the people realize the growth in population uh, increase is going to happen. It really becomes a debate of personality of how that happens. You know, from 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 inside City Hall, let's kind of start there. When it comes to infrastructure, there is couple ways to pay for infrastructure. You can either do it through grants from the state, which just means you're getting tax dollars from everywhere else in the county or everywhere else in the city even. I'm sorry, the state. And you're taking other people's money and using it for your roads and your pipes and your electrical lines and those sort of things. The other way to do it is sort of through in, uh, impact fees. The impact fees sort of go into an accrual fund And those are really what you dip into to make payments on infrastructure, which is usually bonded because there's so many, uh, you know, zeros (laughs) attached to those sorts of projects. And most of those projects now, uh, from what I'm seeing, the, uh, the public infrastructure projects are, are bloating in uh, budgets. They are 40% higher than they were just a few years ago under Trump. Uh, this is sort of downstream from uh, Biden's spending spree. The debt is now growing more than the uh, gross domestic product or you know, the gross domestic uh, product here in the United States. Uh, the average American right now household is spending about $700 a month more just on the same sort of goods. And that's really, uh, you know, kind of a discussion about, inf- in, you know, hidden inflation. It's a hidden tax. Inflation is a hidden tax. But you know, from an infrastructure side inside City Hall, costs are going up. They don't look like they're coming down anytime soon. And what happens is you sort of build infrastructure just ahead of your growth. And that's really kind of the proper way to do it. And the reason that is, just think about it. If you spend, let's say you spend $10 million on an infrastructure project that's going to last you in 
uh, is projected for growth that's out maybe 15 or 20 years. For 15 or 20 years, you're basically sitting on interest payments that you're not getting any money in to cover. So you keep infrastructure expansions just ahead of the development so you're not sitting on that bill too long before you have those impact fees or those connection fees or those building permit fees coming in to cover that. I hope that kind of makes sense uh, to most to most folks. And it's really just kind of, you know, it helps You know, in the city of Newberry, for instance, we've got a city manager, Mike New, who is all too well. Uh, on these subjects because he worked at GRU, he worked at the city of Alachua, and now we're fortunate enough to have him in Newberry. Uh, so he kind of understands that. And I think I've told, talked about this before on the show is as a city commissioner, you sort of sit out at the front bow of the boat and point and chart the direction. You hire a good city manager who in, hire, in turn hires a good team to steer the rudder. And Mike has done a, fast, a masterful job at putting people in the right place. And then as a city commissioner, you just got to get out of the way and let the professionals do their job. Uh, Steve Tapanis, for instance, he actually sits on the planning and zoning board in High Springs already. And if you understand a little bit of government structure, the planning and zoning board is sort of a precursor, a pre-committee before things get to the commission. And so long as they're sort of on the same page with the commission, they can serve as a great vetting process for projects, for development, for expenditures, for zoning changes and things like that. And they really tee things up for the city commission. So by the time it gets to the city commission, it really, all the tweaks should have been made. Uh, though the Planning and zoning does a really good job, at least in Newberry, of telling the developer, hey, no, not this, let's do this, or hey, that's great, let's do more of that, just depending really on what the personality is. Uh, But being on that planning and zoning board provides a whole lot of stability for being a commissioner as well because you see all those things coming down the pipe and you understand that part of the process. And you can really capitalize on being able to use that part of the process to kind of get things in line before they ever get to the commission. Because once it gets to the commission, like I said, it should be teed up. You should be pretty much a unanimous vote by the time it gets to that point. And if you've done your job as a leader, as a city commissioner, mm-hmm. uh, that's really kind of the way it should happen. So I understand publicly that sometimes people see the commission as a little bit of a rubber stamp. But in all actuality, if the committees and the staff have done their job, it should be pretty much in the status of a rubber stamp before it gets to the commission. So just kind of a little bit of inside city hall, a little inside baseball for uh, viewers out there. So maybe you got a, a question about that or maybe I wasn't, oh. I wasn't checking the chat. Maybe there's a couple of questions in the chat. Feel free. I've got my phone over here on the side. So if you've got a, a question, anybody in the audience, I can try to field that. Well, I got a question from a conversation yesterday about LDRs. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. A fellow was on the planning commission. Yep. Didn't want to approve that which came to them, but had to because it was, it was, it um, didn't violate the LDRs. Right. And was lamenting the fact that that's where the, it really needs to be addressed. Comments on that? Um, I mean, he's essentially, he's correct. LDR is, stands for land development regulations and they're just as they kind of are titled. So, when you are a city, you kind of set the standards, the parameters for how things are either going to develop or how uh, they're going to get to development. Uh, so you have sort of a pre and then a post uh, sort of dynamic going on there. But uh, development rights are 
basically a developer's property rights. And the LDR sort of set the parameters. So if you have certain things in the LDRs, you've got to have you know, X number of feet for setbacks at the property lines. Uh, you have to uh, develop with a certain architectural or, or architectural vernacular, which means what things kind of look like, so to speak. All of those are sort of premised within the LDRs. Uh, so it's almost like a rule book for a developer. And so long as they're following the rules, you really don't have a legal position to decline the application from a city commission standpoint. Uh, and if you do, uh, then you can kind of get into some legal tr- trouble. The developer can bring lawsuit uh, against you afterwards. But as long as they're sort of following the rules, um, you know, they're pretty much good to go. And I mean, hopefully that's pretty understandable to most people. The only real, uh, I guess, uh, response that you could potentially have as a city commissioner is, is reason, is, is reasonable and substantial competent evidence. Uh, because even if you go through all the LDRs, it is still up to the leadership team at the city commission to really make that final uh, approval and that final you know stamp on 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 those and you have to at that point bring in the manual decision making process all the other stuff is sort of automatic yeah we we we've designed it with that setback yeah we've designed it with this we've designed it with that you know number of properties per acre and all that sort of stuff but you still have to have the manual component and the city commission has to look around at other projects that are going on because ultimately you're trying to create this city puzzle and making sure all the pieces fit well if this person is going to develop this piece of land and take up this much of the wastewater capacity for instance how much is this other project going to take up and are they going to be timed in the, in such a way that we can build the infrastructure just ahead of, like I was talking before, what they want to do to make sure that we don't hook up a bunch of houses to a wastewater plant that can't handle all the, all the sewage treatment, for instance. So it's little things like that. And you, you, you have to sort of apply a manual lens when you're looking at those things to make sure it all comes into focus. That's tricky. If you got yep. growth so fast, yep, and that seems to be the problem that this gentleman was addressing. Yeah. Um, what we've done with this, and this brings up the whether or not it overloads the uh, sewage and all that, we've tended to go go to zero lot lines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cramming people together right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was lamenting the fact that this is being replicated all, all over the place. And how do you put the brakes on that? How do you, you know, how do you get in there and kind of, now we could go to the level you're at, yeah. but that's a risk because, yeah. you know, for an individual commissioner or the tree, the two boat to change yeah. things, all of a sudden you put the city in jeopardy because the developer will say, I've seen this happen so many times, you know, hey, we did what you told us we could do. Right. And now you're yanking the rug at the last minute. Yeah. So that's not going to work. Yeah. You do have to kind of uh, walk a walk a little bit of a, a little bit of a line there. But the things like the zero lot lines, um, setbacks and those sort of things are addressed primarily in the LDR. So it is very important. That's almost a little bit more important uh, than the execution. It's sort of the plan before the game day, but uh, that is important. Um, 
you know, from a from a commission standpoint and a and an income standpoint for the city to pay for all this stuff and not saddle residents with debt, not settle uh, future generations with bonding issues and things like that. Um, you know, if you think about a foot of pipe costs X number of dollars. Well, if you can get more hookups on that length of pipe, it reduces the variable cost for each additional extension. That's why you see what's going on in Gainesville right now. You have the cost of the pipe borne by the city entity to the property line. Then the developer takes it from the property line into the building or the structure. Well, in Gainesville, you see this verticality going up. And what happens is all of those extra hookups are coming on to the city without the city having to bear any additional expense. Now, that only is balanced by the capacity of people willing to purchase that sort of living arrangement, right? If you don't want to live vertically, <laughs> you're not going to be able to sell those sorts of places. So, you know, something vertical is not going to happen in Newberry or High Springs because people just don't want to live that way. And the developers know sort those sorts of things, which is why they kind of, you know, build the way that they the the way that they build. But it all comes down really to market forces. It's still as simple as supply and demand, believe it or not. I mean, I have people tell me at the city commission, why do you always approve these zero lot lines? Well, part of it's a little bit of the LDRs, but let's face it, if nobody bought them, it would get washed out of the market. If nobody, you know, wanted to sell at X dollars, it would get washed out of the market. So it does ultimately a lot boil down to the consumer. I've had somebody tell me, well, why don't you make all these development developers make their own parks for their neighborhoods? I'm not going to choose what color they paint the houses or what necessary amenities that they're going to put in there. The developer has to decide what is going to attract the buyer and what the market will bear in order to sell those uh, those properties. Fascinating discussion here with Tim Martin, who is now wearing the hat of the Newberry City Commissioner. Mm -hmm. We're actually talking about High Springs election today. I wonder, Tim, if um, High Springs is ready. How come they came up with this 29% increase in tax, do you imagine? How'd that catch up? I think part of it was the maximum that you can move without a unanimous vote. Uh, the state statute requires uh, a certain number of votes in order to be able to increase millage a certain percent. I think if you go over more than a third, you have to have a unanimous 5-0 vote, and they knew they weren't going to get that out of Catherine White's. Uh, but one of the incumbents, he was uh, yammering on about, oh, well, we have to increase the taxes in order to protect the businesses here in High Springs. Funny, I don't, I don't ever – recall seeing a situation where increasing somebody's taxes and costs is actually protecting them. So it's it's sort of a funny way to show that you care, I suppose. Uh, But they were, you know, just barking about, you know, the the taxes haven't been changed, which is baloney because the values go up. And even if you kept the millage exactly the same, you're getting more money into the city because the value of the house uh, that it is, that's a factor of the equation gives you more money. So that's sort of a, a little bit of an empty promise, but uh, he was also talking about, oh, well, we also needed to save jobs, and then turns around in a in a uh, 
a forum, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, says, oh, that in order to cut costs, that he would entertain uh, replacing staff uh, with artificial intelligence, which I thought was comical. I didn't think I didn't. I'm not sure that a small town like High Spring no, I get a word. Uh, would be would be ready for artificial intelligence. Uh, but maybe it was just going, kind of a little bit of a, uh, you know, unforced error there in a debate uh-huh. under the under the lights of accountability. Uh, but it really, you know, sometimes I feel like under pressure, people give their most honest answers or ad lib. When they ad lib, they give their most honest answers. And those are sort of some some of the things that I gravitate towards. So you can kind of see where his individual mind is. And, uh, you know, the current mayor, she's up for a reelection today. Uh, you know, God love her, but she just really kind of seems to be a little bit of a seat filler uh, from what I from what I see. So again, if you know folks in High Springs, vote for Andrew Miller and Steve Tapanis today. Polls are open until seven at the Civic Center and at the First United Methodist Church. And then they'll pick their own mayor. They vote themselves mayor. That's their system. Yeah, it'll be one of the five sitting commissioners who act as the mayor. They have a little bit different structure than we have in Newberry. We have five commissioners plus a mayor. So there's Mm. sort of six elected bodies, but our mayor doesn't have a, a vote in our in our system. That keeps it that, well. Yeah, that makes sense because you don't want that to be odd. You don't want seven either, like Gainesville's got. Oh no, no, absolutely not. I mean, you know the the duplicity of seven just seems to really reek of overkill, uh, doesn't it? I mean, there's it's it's almost probably set up that way to ensure that those uh, you know those lefties downtown always have. The majority, regardless of which which way the actual seats go, because some of them are district, some of them are at large, and you know, uh, God love them, but that's why they're the whole of the donut, really. That's why oh, they're the whole. <laughs> you know, on another note, um, I'm so curious um, about already the bickering that's going on on the GRU Oversight Committee. Have you had any um, study of that done in your mind? Uh, n- not so much, but I-, I do think that probably the governor's team probably could have done a lot better job here. I understand that he's trying to run a presidential campaign, but you know, on the other side, it's sort of uh, he's a little bit of a victim of his own creation, if I have to be honest, because he got the legislature to pass the resign to uh, run repeal, so he's allowed to run and not have to resign. If he had resigned and just focused on the presidential campaign, you know, the lieutenant governor would have taken over and been able to focus a little bit more on things like this. So uh, they've stubbed their toe uh, on this GRU board. Uh, I actually talked with an attorney last week who actually speculated whether or not uh, the entire board should actually resign and just reset the table, so to speak, with a more effective approach and more thought out approach. Uh, from the inside, it does seem like things were kind of thrown together a little bit quicker than they probably should be. Uh, they're going to have some growing pains. Uh, but unfortunately, I think even with the board, even if it was the best board it possibly could, they're not going to be able to bring down rates anytime soon because of the debt load that was placed upon them. And now you have the rates continuing the way they were. Plus, you have, I think they increased their property taxes in the city of Gainesville 29%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just, I mean, good grief. I mean, the rates at GRU were bad enough, but now you're piling on, and it's it's just 
I mean, it's just going to be onerous for this, the residents in the city of Gainesville. And I feel, I feel bad for them uh, on one standpoint, but they sort of make, they sleep in the bed that they make. And up until recently, you had essentially about, what was it, 12% of the population turning out for elections. So half of that plus one is really what was driving the bus over there. And when you are not participating in the process, you get to live with what the process <laughs> creates. And, you know, that's really just kind of the nuts and bolts of it, unfortunately. And people think that, oh, you can, you know, just unwind this at the drop of a hat. It doesn't work that way. It's not just go and vote and show up. You've got to actually be involved in the process ahead of the actual vote to make sure that the education level is up on the citizens so they know what they're actually doing. And I'm I'm interested from a political uh, standpoint to see how this does play out over the next couple of election cycles because boy, it's going to be ugly. And when you have economic turmoil, you have crime turmoil and crime increases. Theft goes up when people can't pay their bills. Uh, you've got piled on inflation on top of that. So the dollar's not going nearly as far as it used to. Uh, it's going to be a real petri dish, so to speak, of liberal Marxism uh, right here in our own backyard and people ought to pay attention. <laughs> well said. I guess we'll wind it up on that. been talking with Tim Martin, who's Kind enough to stop by today and talk about High Springs election. We'll see how that turns out. High Springs is undergoing growing pains, as a lot of this county is. But theirs seem to be a little more sharply focused because uh, they took a little while deciding to become, oh, how shall we say, um, um, modernized, if you will. They've always had culture. They've yeah. always had culture. They don't really have a strong economy that I can think of. Um, Tim, a place to draw dollars from other than taxes. Can you think of any? Well, no, you're right. It's it's primarily taxes in the springs, and the springs are seasonal. So yeah. you don't have a regular recurring tax base that's you know a 12-month cycle. You really have one that's about three or four months. Right, right. So they're a little bit strapped for cash like that, right. unlike Newberry and, and Alachua. Which makes well, every decision all that more important. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming by, Tim, and have a great day. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow with Ted Yoho and read your homework and uh, be ready to talk about it. Have a great day. Warhog Command Center out. Thank you. Thank you.